So now let's get to Hosea. Most of our attention here will be on Hosea all the way to the end of this part until we get to the part of the United States of America. Isaiah briefly, maybe in chapter 14, I don't have to look back. Isaiah prophesied against the sins of Ephraim, the northern kingdom. But it was just a brief section. Elijah prophesied in the time of Ahab. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom. Elisha followed Elijah. He prophesied to the northern kingdom. Now all the way down to the last days, the last decades or so of the northern kingdom, God sent two prophets, Hosea and Amos. They were different. Hosea was an educated guy, kind of a city slicker. Amos was the son of a farmer. He grew up in the country. He didn't know anything about city living. So you can see how God works there. Hosea had a way to speak to people. Amos would have had a way to speak to people, and God used them both in about the same time frame to give something of the same message, although in my view, Hosea's message is maybe a little stronger. Hosea is the guy, the prophet, whom God said to go and marry a prostitute. That just seems so bizarre. But... The analogy was, and apparently Hosea had to live it and become brokenhearted by it so that he could make the people understand how Yahweh felt with regard to the prostitution of Israel chasing after other gods. I don't get into that part of the chapter here, but to let you know that Hosea understood the heart of Yahweh because Yahweh required him to walk the path that would cause him to suffer the same kind of thing in a human sense that Yahweh suffered in a spiritual sense. So, now with that in mind, Hosea, a prophet to the north, let's see what he says. Now this is in chapter 1 and verse 1. The word of Yahweh which came to Hosea the son of Be'eri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So he went through quite a, <laughs> quite a few kings in the southern kingdom, and only one. So the important part for us to note is that his prophecy, his career as a prophet, was to the northern kingdom in the days of Jeroboam the second. So that means that he prophesies to a very strong prosperous, very independent, uh, very confident, and wealthy society. They, they really were on the verge of just arrogance because of the life that God had given to them. Next verse. At the beginning of Yahweh's speaking to Hosea, Yahweh said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. 
for the land goes astray from following Yahweh. Now, I don't have what follows that. What follows that is a description of how he has two children and each, children, each child is given a name that reflects the heartache of Yahweh. Uh, I'm not going to look at that, but just to, just to let you know that Yahweh requires Hosea to immerse and invest himself completely into the way that Yahweh feels. Hosea is not Yahweh. If Yahweh has a broken heart, there's no way to compare that to a human being because he is so much above us. But in the best way that's possible, Hosea understood. Now his wife turned to prostitution while she was still his wife. And, uh, you know, confusion about these children who were born. Oh, you know, what's, what's happening in my life? Yahweh says, you know, the same frustrations and, and heartache is these are what I feel in, uh, in heaven. So here's what this says to us. Hosea is telling us that the culture of sin and evil is enveloping the culture of the Yahweh worshipers and they are truly becoming a remnant. That the way of sin uh, and the path of uh, idolatry are becoming the norm of society. So that increasingly these people of God so-called the northern kingdom, increasingly are rejecting the word of God, the way of God, the will of God, the purpose of God. Prophets come. This, this is the last warning, Hosea and Amos, primarily Hosea. So think of it now. The people are steeped in sin, and we're going to see the sins enumerated and this is where we begin to make a comparison with our own nation. Okay, here is a nation, Northern Kingdom, Israel, started by people who were godly people in a sense. They had a sense of worship, a sense of Yahweh. And in that separation, they still had a strong group, although not necessarily also always reflected in the leadership, yet still in the hearts of so many of the people a heart for Yahweh, a heart for worship, a heart for the word of God, the Torah of Moses, a heart uh, for temple, for the temple uh, down in Jerusalem. But in the time of Jeroboam II, prosperity and strength increase. Dedication to Yahweh decreases. We'll see it here. Hosea takes note of it, Okay. Hear the word of Yahweh, O children of Israel. For Yahweh has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Let me stop there. So this is a courtroom. God is suing for divorce. That's, that's the picture that's given here. This is his legal case against his beloved Israel, the northern kingdom. God, Yahweh, has a controversy with the inhabitants. Okay, now that's an important statement, an important word. 
If he said Jeroboam did evil in the sight of the Lord, well, that's, that's a guy. But now it's the inhabitants of the land. Now, now this sin, the culture of sin, has permeated just your normal household. Has permeated the hearts of people who otherwise were worshipers of Yahweh. There would have been people, because it says on down there, like, like people, like priests, and how the people had, there'll be on down there where the people, I, don't, I may not have that verse in here, but it, uh, it indicates that the people still had something in here. You know, I've got this compartment over here for Yahweh, and I'll do those things. But man, I sure like what we do up here with, uh, with this Baal stuff. Uh, or, or they just wouldn't stand against it. They just sort of compromised with it. This is, where, this is where the people are at the time of this prophecy from Hosea. All right. There is no truth in the land. You couldn't believe anybody. You don't have to answer this, but you ask the question, do our people lie? Do, do our leaders lie? <laughs> there is neither truth nor chesed. That's, I don't know, your Bible may say loving kindness or mercy or something, but it's a deeper word than that. It's a word that is inserted by the Holy Spirit of God in the Old Testament to describe the covenant bond between Yahweh and his people, his elect. It always begins with Yahweh. Yahweh always has the responsibility for establishing. You know, you can't go from here to there. He has to come from there to here. That's the way it always is. But... David, for example, in the Psalms, uses that term, he uses it a lot. And he uses it in the sense of being the recipient and acknowledging that he is the recipient of this covenant love. And I don't deserve it, but he's given it to me and I acknowledge it, therefore I worship him. And so David writes these wonderful songs and psalms of worship. There's no heart for that in the northern kingdom. That's what he says here. Nobody tells the truth. People do not acknowledge how wonderful God is and has been. They just don't even think of him. There is no chesed. So not acknowledging that, they could not, they could not offer the fruit of that to other people. Mercy, for example, loving kindness. So the people are hard, hard, hearted toward the relationship that Yahweh had established with their forefathers and toward one another. That's, that's what chesed refers to. But this is probably the basic root of everything. There was no knowledge of Elohim in the land. God. There was no knowledge of God 
in the land. Outside these walls, how biblically literate is the common person on the street? I've seen a thing on Fox News. This guy, his name is Waters. He has Waters World. And back in the days of Bill O'Reilly, he worked for O'Reilly, and O'Reilly sent him out into the street. And I remember more than one occasion, he would have his microphone, and he would ask, name one of the apostles. Nobody would, you know, nobody would know. Nobody, I mean, nobody would know. He'd go to all these different people. Nobody could name an apostle. Give me the name of one of the gospels. They couldn't, how many gospels are there? Twelve? Ten? Yeah. I don't have to keep I don't have to keep on on that issue. You understand what I'm saying. Biblically illiterate people. Now, for people who come up in church and stay in church all the time, we don't really think about that. But you go out, you, you get outside today and, you know, go anywhere. Go to Walmart or something and ask them to define the Hebrew word chesed. No, I don't do that. <laughs> but uh, they don't know. They don't know things. They're dead. They're in darkness. They're just in such darkness. Well, this is the way the mindset of the people, this was their worldview, you see. So they didn't have to tell the truth. They didn't understand that there should be a relationship with Yahweh and that they were on the receiving end and should be on the worshipful, thankful end of it. Knowledge of Elohim. Didn't, didn't, and there wasn't that much Bible in that. It was mostly the Torah of Moses. The five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. No knowledge of it. Well, that tells you that the priesthood or whatever religious leaders they had, I don't know, they weren't doing their job. But it goes on. Here's, there is swearing. Now this is a, usually when you, in the Old Testament, you talk about taking oath and it's like, I don't, I don't even like to use the two letters, but it's like GD, okay? It's like that you're invoking the name of deity without even knowing what you're doing, blaspheming all over the place, and the looseness of the use of that word then brings in other words. The, gener the general description of that is swearing. You know, I know a swear word when I hear it. I certainly understand when someone has invoked the name of deity uh, to the damnation of himself. Well, this was just standard in the culture of the northern kingdom of Israel. Hmm. Do I hear words on TV that I don't, I don't used to, didn't used to hear them. <laughs> I've been, what? I'm a nut for this old 50s stuff because I remember when I was a kid and I get it on something, Amazon Prime, I think. Well, I watched Yancey Derringer until I ran out. See, nobody knows what Yancey Derringer is. Now I'm watching Jim Bowie, the life and times of Jim Bowie. 
I used to watch this stuff when I was a little kid. And I mean, I like to see people get stuck with a big knife anyway. That's always, <laughs> always entertaining. But the interesting thing is the character of Jim Bowie dates to the 1820s or so, and it wasn't that far removed from the Revolutionary War. And all he can do is explain to people the greatness of being an American, being free, the virtues of being, of, of living in freedom. And Sam Houston has come along in one of the adventures, you know, and some of these famous people back in the day. Uh, Andrew Jackson was the president. You don't ever see him, but they always talk about Andy Jackson in this Jim Bowie thing. And today... Andrew Jackson's name comes under a curse for most people. Back then, he was the hero who won so much, won so many battles and settled the area of New Orleans and all that kind of stuff. Just so different. You never heard a curse word. The, the most profane thing Jim Bowie says, and he says it in every show, well, dog my cats. That's what he says. Well, dog my cats. Swearing. I have a, I have more, I'll say more about that later when we get to the United States, but keep these sins in mind. Now this is Yahweh bringing his case against Israel. Not one thing. But one thing after another, we've been suffering through impeachment, articles of impeachment. And so these are the charges that are made. There have been, what, two? In this case, it just keeps going on and on and on. Yahweh takes Israel to divorce court. Any one of these things would have been enough for him to win the case and put her away. But he keeps building the case. So, there's no truth in the land. There's no chesed. There's no covenant loyalty in the land. There's no knowledge of God in the land. There's swearing, and then we continue. Lying. Well, that goes back up to truth. There is lying. is almost like a common trait among the people. And killing and stealing and committing adultery. They break all bounds and blood touches blood. Here is where the society was in the days of the prophecy of Hosea here. There was no, uh, generally speaking, generally speaking, there was no shame in adultery. Killing was just something people did. Human life didn't seem to be that valuable. Stealing, if you can get away with it, steal it. They break all bounds. There's no boundary that holds them in. And blood touches blood. That means that the society is becoming increasingly violent. Civil war, I guess. Local, local 
clashes, something gets stirred up and one mob comes against another and there's violence. And that's just the mindset of the people that, that, that existed back then. If I don't get my way, I'm going to get violent about it. I'm just going to, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to, I'm going to get my people. You get your people. Let's fight about it. So that, so that the society itself, itself becomes unstable. There's instability. There's increasing instability within the society of the common man. There's, there's no respect. There's, there's no dignity. There's no Torah of Moses. There's no Ten Commandments. Uh, there's, no, there's no sense or sensitivity of sin. None. It's humanism. It is, it is I am me and whatever me wants, me will get. And nobody can tell me anything different. So a rejection of the authority of God and the word of God, the way of God, the will of God, the purpose of God. This is where the society was in the time of Hosea's prophecy. I think of this and there's, you know, there's nothing there that shocks me. Nothing. And it should. But it doesn't. So now, in certain locales, and this could really grow, there are places, for example, if, if an election or a city council decision or whatever doesn't go the way of a particular mob of people, they're going to hit, they're going to hit, they're going to come after people. They're going to kill them, they're going to destroy the place, they're going to steal, they're going to shed blood. Mob rule. I think of, I've never been there, have no desire to go there. And you can buy me a ticket to go there and I won't go, and that's to San Francisco. I thought, I thought homosexuality was bad enough. But these people, homeless people, who have no dignity and have, I mean, they just f f make everything filthy and nasty and awful. And there's, there's nobody there to stop them or to help. I don't know. Are they, somebody needs some help. They just, I mean, that's demonic to me to allow this kind of activity, just, you know, just use the bathroom. And, and I saw a, thing on Facebook where this homeless guy was <laughs> defecating in front on an aisle where the toilet paper was. I guess because he would need some toilet paper. I don't know. So he would steal it, you know. Nobody gonna, nobody gonna stop him. I don't know how you stop that anyway. I, they break all boundaries. Now, this is the point. There's no boundary I won't cross. You can't keep me in any boundary. So, the society was breaking out of control. Much like, really, I suppose, like it was in the days of Noah where, where God said the only thing they can think of is evil all the time. 
That's all they can think of is evil. There's no depths to the base of their vile thoughts. Okay. My people were destroyed or cut off for lack of knowledge. Now this, this is what burdens me and it should burden the church when we think of our day. We follow the same pattern, the same pattern that we see here. I mean, I, it's undeniable in my opinion. And we see when we extract certain phrases from the language of the original text that we're not quite as bad as they were. We're not quite there yet. But nobody's moving to stop the slide that continues in that direction. Why were they so bad such that God had to cut them off? Well, that's a bad thing when God cuts you off. For lack of knowledge. I was going through in a particular pastorate one time some kind of issue. I can't remember what it was. And I, Dr. Herman Cobb was my father in the ministry. And I guess I was whining to him about it. I don't know. And he said, Charles, they just need to be taught. <laughs> that was a pretty simple thing. It's a profound thing. So what do we do? Okay, so where we are, where are we? That begs the question, are we, are we in a culture and a time in the church of the United States of America where doctrinal purity and the weightiness and import of the Word of God take a diminishing role to everything else the so-called church wants to do? I think that's a valid question. Suppose I take a 10-year veteran from my church who may serve in positions of leadership and just ask that person to explain reconciliation to me. Biblical, that's a biblical word. Atonement. Justification. The deity of Christ. I mean, just basic foundational New Testament doctrine. Can they, can they do that or, or do they just know, know other things? I've, I've been in churches where people knew the Constitution better than they knew the Bible. Well, if the reason the people are cut off and the fruit of the poison tree is all those sins we just looked at and the root of it is lack of knowledge, then we need to reverse the lack of knowledge and bring knowledge. Look, they were so far gone, they rejected knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. You laugh at my word. You turn away from all that I've said in holy writ and scripture. You've rejected knowledge. You know, you can't know God except by his word. God, of course, describes himself in nature and in his creation, reveals himself in Jesus Christ, 
but teaches us personally through his word. His word is alive. It bears witness. It speaks. It doesn't mean anything to somebody who's spiritually dead. They'll laugh at it. They don't care. You can't teach them anything. But you pray to God to bring you across the path of those whom God is calling to himself so that as they are awakened to spiritual life, their new birth, that little baby, will be nurtured and nourished and will grow and mature in the Word of God. And so, it's a valid question. I'm not sure I really have the answer. So, what, does, what, does, what do standard churches in the United States of America today focus upon? Is it to be sure that people are taught the knowledge of God in His Word? Or is that just kind of something down the list down there and there are a lot of other things that we do? Well, that's the root of it, the lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being a priest to me. Seeing that you have forgotten the Torah of your Elohim, the law of your God, I too will forget your children. The more they have increased, the more they have sinned against me. I will therefore exchange their honor for shame. Okay? God brought increase and prosperity and security to the northern kingdom of Israel. Did they use those resources to praise God and be his priest as a nation to other nations? No. Spent it on themselves. Adopted the lifestyle and culture of nations that were foreign. Brought in lifestyles that were totally, totally opposite of the Word of God. As a matter of fact, in the Word of God, they were warned against such things. In the Torah that they had, specifically in the book of Leviticus. And here's the scary part. Your next generation won't have a clue. What he said. Your next generation won't have a clue. I'll reject them. I'll forget them. You haven't done what you should have done. I will reject you and forget your children. That's what he said to them. There is something practical about that. If you are somewhere middle-aged, and I'm, I guess I'm an elder, elderly person now. I used to be middle-aged. I've graduated from that. But if you're old enough to know better, do you ever worry about the up-and-coming generation? What's going to happen to them? Look at the world they're coming into. And it's given to them in the movies and on TV. It's given to them in the people they're going to elect. It's given to them in the halls of higher learning. They praise and adore this kind of
culture and these things that are, that are standing in rejection of the Word of God, I worry about that generation. Please, God, don't forget our children. The more they have increased, the more they have sinned against me. I will, therefore, exchange their honor for shame. This is from, I was mentioning one of the, from David Levy's book, Book of Hosea. These are some summaries that he drew from his studies in those prophets that speak against that time. Israel's religious decline led to a rapid deterioration in its moral and social order. Leaders accumulated wealth by corruption. You ever wondered how a guy gets elected and... Uh, I won't go there. <laughs> Leaders... I'll go there this far again. Leaders accumulated wealth by corruption. They perverted justice through exploitation and bribery. With the death of Jeroboam II. Now this is the scary part. Everything was stable until this old boy died. You remember when the Bible said, I'm going to use Jeroboam II to secure but God didn't say anything about what he would do after Jeroboam II died. Now when you read the rest of the history, we could have done that over in 2 Kings. It's one conspiracy and one assassination after the other. The next guy that comes to leadership, his enemies can't stand it. They're going to use everything they can do to displace him and put themselves there. All the while, the culture is going to hell. The military is rusting. The economy is crashing. They didn't care. They were just concerned about themselves. This is what happened after Jeroboam the second died. This went on for some years, but it wasn't as many years as Jeroboam was in office. And finally, with their last king, Assyria came in, what, 722 B.C.? Defeated them, enslaved them, and sent them away to various parts of the world to destroy their culture and displace them as a nation. During this period, let me go back, political confusion and anarchy ensued throughout the land. This is a later summary. I didn't, I didn't put it in quotation marks. During this period of political anarchy, Israel's enemy, Assyria, was emboldened to destroy her. kind of scary, I guess. But you think of the world that we live in today with regard to the United States of America. So many comparisons can be made. And here's what I'm going to do. This is where I had marked for the second and last break. So let's take our break here and then we'll come back and endure the last part. Okay. <laughs> 